0: scripture reading comes from Acts 2, verse 1 through 13, the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, but others mocking said they were filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, Th- this is actually a, a pretty famous and, and big, important portion of scripture that we're going to be covering, and we're actually going to do it over two weeks. So I'm going to do something about the arrival of the Spirit this week, and then um, uh, next week it's going to be about um, who the Spirit is occupying. And, but but th- this is the arrival of the Spirit. And, and a lot of people, you'll hear maybe some people, if you've been around church or Christianity s- circles, uh, a lot of people will say, oh, this is when the church actually started right here in Acts 2. Uh, but I don't think that's entirely appropriate because uh, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, we are called, or the people of God are called, the called out ones. So there's always been a people of God. But what happens here in Acts 2 is unique and special. And what I mean by that is that God is going to be with his people in a very special, unique way that he had not been with his people before this time. So what we're going to do is, uh, just this afternoon, is we are going to ask the same question that the scripture asks about this passage, okay? So we read that in verse 12. What's the question that everyone had? After the coming of the Spirit, the question was, what does this mean? So, we're going to ask that question. We're going to let the the Bible ask our question for us. What does this mean? What does this mean? Uh, They were amazed and perplexed and asked that question. So, this is what we're going to do, is um, we're going to ask, what does it mean when we have the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and this is what it's gonna mean is this, is that the power that goes on with you, in you for your Christian life does not come from your inner winner. Two, um, the coming of the Holy Spirit in your life is like alcohol, but it's not, okay? You're curious about that one? Third, um, Uh, The coming of the Holy Spirit means that the message of God to humanity is truly for everybody. Four, Um, and we're going to talk about this. It doesn't make sense now, but we're going to talk about the man in the middle. I was thinking of Michael Jackson's like the man in the mirror there, so ha-ha, funny. But we're going to talk about the man in the middle at the very end. All right, so let's talk about this. The the coming of the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit means that the power that we are gonna see here does not come from your inner winner. All right, uh, what happens in Acts 2 is that there is a sound like a mighty wind. Our text says like a violent wind. Acts 2, 2, and suddenly there came from heaven, they're all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. Okay, in 2011, and I've told parts of this story before, so some of you have heard it, but in 2011 we were living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, West Alabama, and a tornado came through Tuscaloosa, Alabama, destroyed about a seventh of the city. Um, Here's a picture here, and I don't know if you can, you can probably see it better in effect from afar, is you're gonna see a distinct path of the lightest portion. You're like, that's the middle of the tornado. And then you're gonna see another layer, it's a little bit more blurred out or faded. You're like, okay, that's where winds were hitting, but it definitely wasn't the middle of the tornado. And then of course, the third level is you're like, trees are still standing, everything's green, houses are standing. Okay, um, we were, our house is in the upper right-hand corner, right there, where we were living. And um, what happened, and you can see some of the carnage. Go to the next slide. And and this was a real tornado, okay? And so we were in our house, and um, we were in a single level ranch, so we didn't have a basement, but we were in the hallway, and we're praying. And it comes through, and I remember my kid, I don't even know, this is not an emotional part of the sermon, just block that out. I don't know what, I wasn't even ready for that one. Okay, so my kid's just like, God, please help us, please help us, but what's in really interesting is that it sounded, uh, you hear like a train, that's kind of, it sounded just like there was a bunch of like, um, what's, what's the Marine Force One helicopters, if you've ever been there, it's like a bunch of them over the house, and it's just rattling, and we only lost like shingles, and it only destroyed a bunch of trees in, the, in um, our roof, and a playhouse that it totally obliterated in the back, and uh, we only lost that, Okay. But it is definitely a sensation where you say, okay, I have zero power in this situation. Like, I feel very, very small. And afterwards, let me just tell you, as you're awestruck, you're like, oh, dang. Some of you might select other words. But but, but, but what, what happens is that you feel very subject to, like whatever happened outside, there's nothing you can do to change it. It's, it's pretty powerful. So this is what's interesting. The text tells us this, is that kind of wind was there, but it was like it. It wasn't actually wind. There weren't people, people just like, whoa and their hair was, and they were just like, whoa, hold on to me. Nope, no, no, no. It said there was a sound like it. Okay? And the experience, now this is what I want you to get about this. This is huge. The experience was outside of them. The experience was outside of them, and it was verified by a bunch of other people too. Do you you know what's interesting about that? When we look at Acts 2, because you're going to need this, is that everybody saw it, and it wasn't just a personal experience. A lot of us equate an experience with the Holy Spirit as what? I got chills. How do you know the AC wasn't turned down? Some of you are like, well, I felt something really powerful. How do you know you didn't undercook your chicken? Like, how do you do that? So this is really important here when we're looking at Acts 2 is something is happening outside of personal self. Okay, why does that matter? You're like, I just don't see the significance. Let me tell you this, is we live in a culture right now that says you don't have many problems because inside of you is nestled a beautiful inner winner. And all we have to do is find your inner winner and peel back the layers and let that birdie fly. That's what our culture says. Now, um, they say you have everything inside of, you have what it takes to do it. You are smart enough, you are good enough, doggone it, people love you. You just don't know it yet. Okay. Biblical Christianity And I'm going to probably offend some of you, but I'm going to be offending myself. Biblical Christianity says that, Tim, you have a problem. Biblical Christianity says, actually, you do have a problem. You do have a problem. And there is a solution that is not inside of you, but there is a solution outside of you. There is a relieving there. The solution is not on you to fix. The solution lies outside of you. So this is really important that the Holy Spirit is coming from the outside and it's not just a personal experience. Um, I was reading the New York Times Magazine and some of you might have read this too but Lori uh, Gottlieb has been a therapist for years and she wrote this article for New York Times Magazine and she said in the last 20 years and I'm just citing her stats at this point so I didn't, I didn't fact check them. I'm just relying on New York Times magazine. They fact checked it for me. I'm sure. Um and so she said in the last 20 years, um, 30% there's been a, a decrease in American culture of there's 30% less people are see, seeking out therapeutic help. And she said this, I, uh, she did a bunch of interviews, and she said, years ago, um, I would meet people, and they would, they would be in my office, and they'd say, I need to understand myself, and, um, uh, 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 and I want to change a lot of bad stuff that I have going on with me. Uh, and she said, now it's shifted. Um, now people are, um, Now people are this, I don't have the problem... Other people are my problem, help me fix other people. Do you see that? I've got nothing wrong here. She goes on, she, she has this great point. She said, this is our cultural problem, is the last 30 years, you know what we have done? Is we have absolutely bombarded our children with self-esteem steroids every day. You are amazing. You are great. There is nothing wrong with you. You're the best. Go get them. Go get them, tiger. You're wonderful. Nothing's wrong with you. She said, we have saturated them with self-esteem. We don't have a self-esteem problem. That's what Lori was talking about. She said, because right now we live in an age where the problem is not me. It's outside of me. And Christianity says this. No, one of the main problems is you. And it's me. But what does it mean? What what does the Holy Spirit coming from the outside mean? It means this, is I have sent a helper. And it's not you. Now we're getting a little sense. The power of the arrival of the Holy Spirit is not because of your inner winner. All right. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is like alcohol but also not. Kids, stay tuned to this one. All right, Um, what happens with the people in the house is they saw separate tongues of fire, individual separate tongues of fire, fire above each head. What does that mean? Um, and this is from uh, verses three and four, if you're following at home. Um, and divided tongues, so not one tongue, but divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Okay, history lesson. Old Testament, um, when we see God's glory, and what I mean by this, this is um, his special presence to, um, it's the friends and family plan. Okay, it's it's how he appears to friends and family in the Old Testament. Um, Let's look at it. Genesis fifteen, a blazing torch, right to Moses as a burning bush on Sinai, Mount Sinai. What smoke and fire? Um, The wilderness at night, pillar, one pillar of fire. Where does it where does it end up um, uh, resting at night? guys remember this? Over the tabernacle. Yeah. Five points for Dave Tickner. Um, then Ezekiel has a vision. What's his, what, Ezekiel's vision is kind of crazy now. I don't know if you've ever read this. It's all about fire. So God's special glory and presence is fire. We see that. Um, but this is, this is the interesting thing in that representation of God, that special presence, there is such a thing of getting too much God. What does he do to Moses? Hide me in the mountain because I cannot handle that much heat. Right, the presence of God means this, is that it's fatal, it's overwhelming, there can be too much God, it's lethal. Check this out. Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. It's not one place, it divides and settles over every person there. What does that mean? What does that mean? I, I, think about how amazingly subversive this is. All right, so um, if you're um, uh, Peter, uh, James, um, uh, if, check this check this out. Let's say you're an apostle, right? <laughs> check this out. Um, um, you're, you've you've walked with Jesus more than anybody. Like you're trained by Jesus himself. Jesus was your theology professor, okay? Um, You spent more time with Jesus. You know all the inside jokes of all the apostles and the disciples. You were chosen by Jesus. Jesus recruited you. Who can say that? Yeah, he personally recruited me. And they're in this room. Look at how subversive this is. I'm all about authority and ordained authority, but check this out. It doesn't matter how much you know. It lands on every single person. Now, the Spirit might give you different gifts than He gives me, but you know what He never does? is give more of God to someone else. Never. Never. You know what you can do? You can be like, Tim, we really appreciate your teaching, but guess what? I have as much God as you do. He is as much with me as he is with you. That's, that's beautiful. That is amazing. Um, now, check this out. Do you remember this, is when Jesus is baptized by John, what is, what is the symbol of the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus in pleasure? Anybody remember? What? Yeah, 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 yeah. The dove. Yeah, the dove. And then their voice from heaven, does anybody remember what is said there? This is my what? Somebody say, it. get points. This is my son in what? In whom what? I am what? Well pleased. There's this delight of the father. Because his spirit is with him, you see this beautiful trinity Trinity thing, trinity thing going on. Okay, you know what I could do? Um, uh, uh, You know, I'm thinking of my sons especially here at this point. But you know what I could do is every night I could I could go and open the door to their room as they're you know um, laughing and making jokes and not sleeping and reading. Um, I could say. Guys, I just want you to know, um, you're my sons, okay? Okay, I'm your dad. I love you. Good night. Click, close the door. Every night. Just want you to know, you're my sons. I'm your dad. I love you. I mean, I can be very professional about it, and that's a very good thing to say to my sons. But you know what else? Something I can do? And I do it, by the way is I see an open couch, or I see an open king bed in my room, and I grab them, and I body slam them into the pillows, and I put my grizzle all up in their neck, and this is what we call it at our house, I don't know what you call it at your house, you're like, whoa, what's going on there? Um, I call it hungry dog, where I just, I kind of kiss and growl, and I get the stubble all in their neck and they laugh? What's the difference between, I just want you to know, I'm your father, you are my son, I love you, good night? What's different there? They're both true. When I grab them and roll them onto the, the cushions, are they any more my sons? No. Are they any less, my sons? No. What is happening? They are enjoying and delighting in that reality in a different way than just a propositional truth. This This is what I want you to see about the advent and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, is it allows you to delight in God in a different way than just propositional truth. Um, Now, you're saying, okay, um, how do I hear the voice of the Spirit, Tim? Hmm? That sounds kind of great, that delight thing you were talking about. How do I hear it? I think you'll know. When you begin to think Whoa, someone that big and immense and powerful delights in me. And he will never, ever bail on me, desert me, let me go. He is bringing me to the place where I will be the best I've ever been. When when you're like, I cannot believe he is delighting in me. Do you know what happens is your boss's opinion actually becomes smaller. The criticism from your spouse becomes smaller. The regrets that haunt you from your parenting decisions become smaller. Because what? The delight in your heavenly Father's delight in you is doing something and changing your view. Okay. What does that inner delight look like to other people around you? Well, let's look at uh, verse 13. Oh, you've been day drinking. (laughs) You've been hitting grandpa's cough syrup before noon, eh? Now, this is what I'm gonna show you. Your delight in the Holy Spirit is going to look like you've been drinking alcohol, but there's important ways, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where it doesn't look like drinking a six-pack before five. Let's look at it. Um, Let's just ask this question. What does alcohol do to us? I don't know what it does to you, but you know what it does? It gives me um, uh, 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 happiness in a sort of um, fearlessness, a bravado. Makes me happy, makes me brave. Huh. Um. <laughs> okay. So it makes me feel happy, like being drunk, because I am delighting in my Father's love. Okay. Um, let, me, let me tell you this how it's not like alcohol. Um, the doctors here will tell you this, is that alcohol um, is a depressant. Um, now, what it doesn't mean that it makes you depressed. What it does is that it uh, incapacit, it depresses your motor functions, and it, de- <laughs> it depresses your brain functions. Okay? So that's why they ask you to spell the alphabet backwards. Uh, Z, Y, X, right? That's, uh, That's for the brain part. That's why they ask you to walk a line because your motor functions are altered. All right. Why are you happy when you drink alcohol? You're happy because you're a bigger idiot. You're happier, you have, you, have, um, you have bravery and you have happiness because you're a bigger idiot. You're less aware of reality. Reality is more fogged. Um, you know, there's that meme there, like um, they show this crazy aftermath of event and what does it say? <laughs> Hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> all of these bad examples of people doing things that they were brave for and they thought this is a great thing that's going to make me happy and it ends in disaster. All right, check this out. Um, When we drink, we forget that we lost our job. We forget that she broke up with us. Um, Steve Brown, a great, great Bible teacher, he says this, The world drinks to forget, Christians drink to remember. Why does he say that? He says this, the Holy Spirit doesn't fog your reality and escape your reality. It actually gives you a bigger reality than you've ever had before. It gives you a bigger reality to the person whose only opinion matters over your life and loves you. And he shows you that reality so when your boss is angry at you and your spouse is angry at you and your kids are angry at you, you know what? They seem very, very small compared to the one who is delighting in you. Um, It's like alcohol, but not. Okay, the arrival of the Holy Spirit um, it shows us in Pentecost, Acts 2, is that the message of Christianity and Jesus himself is really for everybody. Um, it says this, Acts, um, uh, verses uh, 7 and 8, Acts 2, and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Everybody understood all of these different languages that Hong read for us, Um, all these different uh, nations and cultures. Now, this is what I want you to get. When they had the Holy Spirit, and they were delighted that their Father in Heaven, by His Spirit, was delighted in them, did they walk around saying, I am so happy I feel so good. You too, you feel good. I feel good. We feel good. We feel happy. No, that's not what happened. Do you know what happened? It tells us what happened. They didn't talk about their happiness. What were they saying? What was everyone saying? Acts 2.11. We hear them telling in our own tongues. Oh, this is a beautiful phrase. The mighty works of God. God the wonders of God. The Greek there is Megalia. You don't have to be a Greek speaker, do you, to figure that, it has mega in it. I think he's talking about something really big. Yep, you'd be right. See, Greek is easy. <laughs> okay, it's not. Um, what are they talking about? They were talking to each other about huge acts of deliverance. So if you're looking back Old Testament, you're talking Red Sea, right? But if you're talking what just transpired just now, you are talking the cross and the resurrection. They're talking about the mighty works of God in deliverance. So, they are... When the Spirit comes, these believers are preoccupied with talking about it's so amazing that God saves. This is is what I want you to get. When the Holy Spirit has come on a people, do you know what you see? You, You see people who won't shut up about what Jesus has done. When you see a group of people where the spirit has not landed yet, do you know what you hear? I'm gonna tell you about what I've done. And I'm gonna tell you about all the things I'm promising to do. The mark of a spirit-filled community is they are preoccupied with the work of Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. Now, in every language. So, so 50 days after Passover, this is, the, this is the feast that all these Jews from all over the world were coming to Jerusalem for. Um, it's, the, it's called um, the, the, the Feast of First Fruits. I'm not going to go into it. It's basically the first harvest from the spring. So the first shoots of barley 50 days after you planted um, Uh, and also coinciding with what happens at Sinai. We'll get that, we'll get that. Um, But needless to say, is all these people from across the known world, um, they're they're Jews, they're they're God-worshipping, but Hebrew is not their first language. It's not their first language. And the rescue and deliverance of God is announced in their language, and they hear it and perk up and say, I speak that. I know that. I understand. That good news you're just talking about where God saves, yeah, that's to my culture. That's to my language. All right, this is what it means. I'm going to give you the first brief thing. It means that no language, no culture, no nation, no ethnicity has precedence and is the caretaker of God's message. Um, this this guy's really beautiful man. Um, have you heard of him? He, uh, Dr. Laman Sana. He was born in Gambia, um, uh, died just in 2019. Um, he was an associate pres- professor at Harvard for a while, and then um, he ended up spending the rest of his career at Yale Divinity School. And um, so he grew up himself as a Muslim and uh, converted to Christianity. And so he's done a lot of work on on how um, uh, Islam intersects uh, and is contradistinctive from Christianity and vice versa. And he says in one of his books, he says this, he says, did you know that the Quran cannot be translated? What he meant by that is, um, if you are Muslim, you believe this is that God only speaks Arabic. And so the Quran, properly understood, must be read or must be heard in Arabic only. And he says this, in Christianity, because of Acts 2, because it's translated to every language that is known in the world, it means that if the word of God is translated, it is the word of God. And Sana says this, he says this, Islam has, this is his phrase, not mine, he says Islam has a global, unified, Islamic culture. And what he means by that is that it takes its culture, and it has to look the same if it goes to London, or if it goes to New Zealand, or if it goes to America, it has to look the same as where it was imported from. It has to, it must, to be truly Islamic. Islamic. And Sana says this, he said, I didn't know this, but Christianity is the most culturally diverse religion on the face of the planet. He said, why? Because he says, it's not saying that one culture is over another culture. It's not saying that. It challenges a culture, but it never rips you from the culture. It renews you as an African, and this is what Asana was saying. It renews you as an African, but it does not remake you into a European. And he was struck by this. What does this mean? We can never take our culture, and we have a culture, and we can never say this, is that it is the caretaker of right Christianity. Um, you, you know, what's interesting is I, I think of this lady that was in our church. Um, uh, she was from Swaziland. And, um, and what, what was interesting is I watched among our community. And um, what, what we were very nice to her. And what, what, what could happen is like, oh, we love your culture. Do you know what that means? We'd love to try your food. And we love your colorful dress. That's what it means. But this is what we did. We did. And unknowingly, in Swaziland, um, watches are really not a thing. (laughs) And so she said, I have time to give to people, but Americans don't want my time. Um, I will show up half an hour late, and the Americans are freaking out. I will stay till 1 a.m., and the Americans are freaking out. What did we really want from her? we want your food and your dress, but we want to remake you into our American Christianity. That's not so good. That's not so good. And so it's just, it's a caution to us. I must never take my culture and say, I'm gonna impress my expression of Christianity. And like, look, you guys are very educated. You guys love long lectures with bullet points and citations and studies, and you like it that I quote the New York Times Magazine. You really do. But we should never, and I'm just pleading with you, we should never look at any other expression that looks more emotional, more expressive, and say, oh, I think they are on the JB team. We should never do that. Okay? All right. Um, uh, the, the Holy Spirit means that it is truly for everybody. Okay, last. Um, the Holy Spirit coming means that there's a better middleman. Okay, I, t- I said why on Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days over uh, beyond Passover. And then, uh, especially at this one Pentecost in the Old Testament, the people gathered around the bottom of Mount Sinai. And when they gathered, there was, hey, predictably, fire. Bonus, and an earthquake, okay? And what happened there? Um, they were like, uh, Moses, uh, could, could you just go for us up that mountain? We'll stay here. <laughs> you, you go on. Everyone was scared. They were terrified, and they didn't like what they heard. Every time they hear the law of God, they're like, "Yeah, we don't like that." It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, Moses is this middleman that goes and says, "I am." Every time the people of Israel they do something just like dolt's, and, and and there's like extravagant sins. They're like, "Hey Moses, could you go sort it out with God for us?" Could you get him off our back? And he goes up and he prays. This is what the arrival of the Holy Spirit means this. Now, the Holy Spirit descending on you and me, he is not descending with the law of God. He is descending with the news that Jesus has paid it all. You know what? I still can't handle the law. It's good, it's beautiful. I, I, I say that as a minister, but you know what? I can't bear it too much. Um, it, it crushes me. But you know what? When someone sits next to me and says, Tim, you are an adopted um, 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 son of God and there's no condemnation over your life and he is working a good work in you and he'll never, you know what? I'm like, I, I kind of want to hear some more. Could you say more of that, please? Moses was a decent middleman, but Jesus was the better, greater, more f- flawless Moses, the best middleman. Um, you guys will love this. In Genesis 10 and 11, there is a list of nations, kind of like the list of nations that we get in Acts 2. But in Genesis 10 and 11, do you know what they're doing in Genesis 10 and 11? They are building the Tower of Babel. And they're like, let's do this. Let's have a new human civic religion without God and do something amazing so people will think, is there anything else we can imagine all the people. No religion, that's not the tune. They had one language in Genesis 10 and 11, and it's confused. And it fractures. Warring cultures and nations. Acts 2, you have all of these different languages understood. What's happening? The curse of Babel is being renewed. It's being renewed. How? You know that fiery part where you can't get too, you can't, we don't want too much of God because we'll die? That part lands and descends on the middleman, Jesus. And all we enjoy is the warmth. That's a good middleman. Um, it means the arrival of the Holy Spirit with that middle man it means that you and me are living out because the Spirit's on you and the Spirit's on me we're living out and undoing the curse of Babel around us how? I said that tornado in Tuscaloosa, I'm going to end with this Um, that tornado in Tuscaloosa it made me feel powerless awestruck very tiny and subject to the whims of the power. You know what, that's what happens when a community runs into the good news of God. Um, You'll get a kick out of this. Um, So, predictably in West Alabama, the church that I pastored, I viewed it as an all-white church. Okay? All right, there were Taiwanese in our church, there were Koreans in our church, we had a Korean service, we planted a a Korean church out of that church, there were Chinese immigrants in that church. Um, We ordained the first black elder ever in that group of churches in Alabama. And I was at a meeting, it was a meeting of all these pastors, and a guy I had never met came up to me and goes, Oh, oh yeah, you're from that international church in Tuscaloosa. And I thought it was laughable because it was a Caucasian dominated church. I, I was I was laughed inside. I was like, ha, that's hilarious. But but I was too stupid. Uh, let me tell you why that yeast of what happened in the church, it was enough so that the people in the area were like, the nations are being healed there. What? And they're, this is what, how could that happen? And I'm gonna tell you this. I'll be nice to the white people this time. I've been mean to the white people before. I'll be nice to them this time. It's what happens when those Caucasians ran into a God who was so great that they became tiny again. And they were awestruck by how generous he was. And what did it do? It made them say, I want to be in subject to that God and to others who may not look like me. This is what I want us to grab from that. Do not belittle, belittle, belittle. Please do not belittle what's happening when we gather here together and we worship Jesus together. My Caucasian friends in South Pass. their eyebrows kind of go up. Huh? You know a lot of people that don't look like you. I'm not making this up. Ask me after if you want stories. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to embarrass anybody. The non-Caucasians are filled with a lot of curiosity when they realize that I am the minority in my church. And their eyebrow goes up. Hmm. Please don't belittle that we are a part of healing the nations. We are living out the arrival of God's spirit. Okay, let's pray into that. Jesus, um, we, we can never get more of your spirit or less of your spirit. but we do want to walk with your spirit more. So in great fear and holiness, have your spirit be in us to do these great and more powerful things than you have done out of your own, out of your own mouth. Oh, build that beautiful kingdom, that that otherworldly kingdom, that upside-down kingdom. You build that kingdom here in us, we pray. Amen.